HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Clara Langan, editorial director here at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, what's for dinner? Each week, we'll be speaking with members of the Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration to help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am joined by Chrissy Skomenya. Chrissy is the co-founder of Boonville Barn Collective. Chrissy started growing Espelette peppers in California in 2012. Since then, she's helped small businesses in Northern California, or rather the Northeast and Northern California, streamline their operations and production processes and spent time working in food rescue and hunger relief. She now lives in the town of Boonville, located in Northern California's Anderson Valley, located about 100 miles of San Francisco. She and her team grow, dry, and grind chili peppers into high-quality spices using sustainable agricultural techniques to produce healthy food without compromising future generations' ability to do the same. They are at Boonville Barn on Instagram. And welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Chrissy. Hey, Claire. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, my goodness. Always a pleasure. So off the bat, everyone should know that Chrissy and I go way back. Uh, we've known each other since 2013, but Chrissy, tell us a little bit more about, about your background. Yeah. So I've been working in the food industry for the past 10 years and really working across all sectors of the food industry as I could. So I started working in a restaurant. Um, after college, I moved out here to Northern California to work at the Boonville Hotel And I was really just working as an intern, doing whatever needed to be done. I was working in the front of the house at the restaurant, but quickly realized that as a 21-year-old, customer service was really not where I shined. So when the kitchen needed help, I kind of just jumped in every day before working in the front of the house and started prepping with the team. And at that time... 
the back of the house in the restaurant was a really small team of about two pastry chefs and anywhere from two to four chefs. And there was a set menu that changed every night uh, where we were able to cook within the seasons and source as much local food as we could. And it was a really incredibly intensive cooking education where you'd have to learn one dish one night and perfect that and then make something totally different the rest of the week. So I ended up working in the kitchen there for about four years until I decided that I wanted to go to grad school. So I moved to Boston and I got my master's in agriculture and food policy at Tufts University. And while I was in Boston, I decided to do a lot of other things and have a lot of side jobs. And so I worked in the emergency food system and spent time working with multiple food rescue and hunger relief organizations in Boston, with much of that work being focused on childhood hunger relief. But in my heart, I really just wanted to be working in food production and have my hands really be hands-on in whatever I was doing. My brain operates like a chef, and I'm a really big systems thinker, and I'm very task-oriented, and I needed to be out of the office. (laughs) So I apprenticed as a whole animal butcher and managed operations for a handful of small food businesses, and then it was time to move back to California, and now I run a small farm and food business here. I mean... Talk about an amazing background. I, I mean, yeah, I, I love how you just threw in like, oh yeah, and I was like a butcher for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a small blip in the uh, timeline. But uh, amazing background, and really, what's interesting for me is like your your history as a chef. You know, mm-hmm. really, and you know, coming back in, into food and, and moving back to California, um, you know, has really been part of that. So, tell me a little bit about the origins of Boonville Barn Collective, how it all began, how you ended up growing chili peppers in Northern California. Yeah. So the roots of Boonville Barn Collective really lie in this dream that I had along with the other chefs at the Boonville Hotel restaurant 10 years ago, when we really wanted to have a local source of piment d'espelette, which is a chili powder that we used in almost every dish in the restaurant. And we tried to source as many of our ingredients as we could from here in the Anderson Valley. And we figured that if we were doing that with produce, it should be the same with at least one of the spices we were using. So pimenta split, for folks who don't know, is a Basque chili powder from southern France that's really the backbone of all Basque cooking. It's a little sweet, a little bit spicy, and just has this really incredible depth of flavor. And so in 2012, we were able to get our hands on about 50 Espelette chili seeds from France, and we had the right person in our network who we could ask to grow these chilies for us. And that was Nacho Flores, who's our current foreman here on the team. And at the time, he was actually the vineyard manager of my dad's vineyard, and we were able to find some land for him to grow these chilies on. And one day in late September, he walked up to me in the kitchen at the hotel and handed me this bus tub that was overflowing with perfectly ripe Esplat chilies and said, well, what's next? (laughs) So from there on, Nacho and I started working together to really figure out the best way to grow these chilies, dry them, grind them, and package them into this chili powder. And so similar to champagne, which can only be called champagne if it's grown in the Champagne region of France, Pimenta Esplat has that same origin protection. Mm -hmm. So we we knew that we couldn't call what we were growing, piment d'Espelette, which really translates into the pepper of the town of Espelette. 
So since we needed a name for our California-grown chili, we decided to call it Piment de Ville, or being the pepper of Boonville. And that's mm -hmm. where this business really started, growing and producing Piment de Ville chili powder. And over the past 10 years, we started growing different kinds of chilies and have added other crops to the farms. But there wasn't really any brand holding everything together. So in the fall of 2019, after I was away from the business for about four years, I moved back to Boonville with my now husband, Gideon, and we took over the Piment DeVille business and started Boonville Barn Collective, which is our way of bringing everything together that's happening here on the farm and really give us the opportunity to have different kinds of growth for the farm and our business itself. And I love the visual of Nacho coming into the kitchen <laughs> with that bus tub and just yeah. being like, okay, game on. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it really we've gone through so many different iterations of like, okay, what do we use to grind these chilies? What's the process of doing that? What are we going to dry them in? How many times do we need to scale up the size of our dehydrator? When did we have to outfit our own big shipping container to make ourselves one? Like it's, it's been this incredible iterative process that I can't believe we've been doing for 10 years. <laughs> And it just keeps growing literally and figuratively. And <laughs> yep. for, for those of us that are wondering, is there an actual Boonville barn? Well, I've been, I've been to your farm, so there are many barns. <laughs> there is. Yeah, but part of why we wanted to call ourselves the Boonville Barn Collective is that our the farm and like our office are located in this like very iconic barn, big wooden barn um, that sits right in the middle of the Anderson Valley between the small towns of Boonville and Philo. And it's like people will ask, oh, like, where are you guys located? And we're like, oh, we're the big barn at the end of Anderson Valley Way. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly where that is. I'm like, <laughs> we don't have a sign. We don't really have anything marking it as Boonville Barn Collective. But when you tell people like, yeah, that big wooden barn at the end of the road, they know exactly where it is. <laughs> And for those of you just to paint the picture, and I've, I've been up to, I've been lucky enough to come up to Anderson Valley quite a few times over the years. And I, and I am coming back in, in June, second week of June. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but when I tell you, you know, there's the the office and then you walk right outside and within within feet are ch just fields of chili peppers. <laughs> yep. And of course, and strawberries too. And, and actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you're growing and what you make with all of the, these amazing peppers. Yeah. So one thing that makes us different from a lot of farms is that we were really focused on growing and producing value-added products here. And so everything that we grow and sell is, has, is coming from our seven-acre farm here in Boonville. It's really not that much space. It's a really beautiful spot, but it's not this like sprawling bucolic farm. It's really production-focused. And so our flagship chili, Piment DeVille, is still the bread and butter of our business and what we produce the largest quantity of. And from what we can tell right now, we are by far the largest producer of Espelette chilies outside of France, all on like five acres of land. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so we also grow poblano chilies, comapeno chilies. And last month we launched a line of about six different kinds of whole dried chili peppers that all sold out in about two weeks. Amazing. And so we've added, we're adding many more plants to our crop production plans this year. And we're adding about five different chilies to the whole dried chili line for this coming fall. And then outside of chilies, we grow some dry beans, strawberries, and produce olive oil here on the ranch. All of it is amazing, you guys. All of it is amazing. 
<laughs> I mean, you are like a super fan, so <laughs> it's great to talk to you about this. It's true. It's true. And, and you know, in, in terms of, can, can you help, um, un, help us understand for those that have never heard the term value added? Yeah. What does that mean? So that's like the process of taking some kind of produce and turning it into something that you would like buy on the grocery store shelf. So like a value added product for a farm could be strawberry jam if they grow strawberries or olive oil as value added products because you're selling something that has been processed in some way to make it shelf stable and have a longer like time that the the company could be selling it for. Um, and for us, having value added products is really important because we're really remote. Um, there's like tiny two lane windy roads for 30 miles in every direction of where we are. Mm -hmm. And so like we're, we're too far to be a day trip to San Francisco. It just takes too long. And Mendocino County has a very low population. And so there's just not enough people to eat the produce we'd be able to produce. And so having like creating products that then we can sell all year makes this business and our farm viable. Yeah. And, and for anyone that is looking for a trip, maybe in the next year, you're, 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 you're flexing your, your vacation time. I would highly recommend visiting the Anderson Valley. You know, it is such an amazing region for agriculture and, you know, you can, you have easy access to the coast. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's the one part that we didn't even talk about is that this is like a huge wine producing region. And so Anderson Valley is known for its Pinot Noir and there's like upwards of at least 40 different wineries out here. So we're, we're one of the few people who doesn't grow grapes. So we're, we're just chili peppers, but it's a little different out here. It's kind of funny when you're driving to the farm, you pass by tons of wineries and it's like winery, winery, winery. Oh, piment, you know, yeah. the piment <laughs> fields, <laughs> chili fields. Um, and not to mention you have a shipping container with the most amazing strawberry painted shipping container that yeah. I mean, I can't even describe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're all about having like big, bold painted structures since we, we have the big barn and then the other areas that we've added for production. It's just way more enjoyable to look at and fun if they're, they're painted bright. So, Well, everybody, I think we've decided everyone's trip in, in the next couple of years. Okay, so Chrissy, what are the challenges and benefits of being a farmer, of, a, of being a small farmer and owning all parts of the supply chain? Because it sounds like you are a busy gal. Yeah. So we, we're vertically integrated here on the farm, which means that we do everything from starting our plants to growing the chilies to making this end product, which is the chili powder. Um, and a lot of times, like for a food business, they will buy ingredients from another company and somebody else will make the product, but we're really owning all parts of that process. And the biggest benefit to having this vertical integration is transparency. And transparent, transparency in the spice industry has really become a big deal over the past few years, especially if you're somebody that's buying spices from places other than the grocery store. And that transparency that we can offer is pretty drilled down to almost the plant, like individual plant level. Um, mm -hmm. 
So here on the farm, we do everything to produce these chili powders. Each fall, we save seeds from our crops and then use those seeds in the winter to start the next year's crop of chilies. And right now we have about 50,000 chili plants in our greenhouse that were all started by seed that we had saved. And so these plants go into the ground and get planted in late May, and we leave the chilies on the plants till they're fully ripe. And then we harvest everything by hand, dry the chilies in our greenhouse. And then before we grind the chilies, we take out those seeds and stems and save the seeds for the next year. So within that, for as far as transparency, each jar of our chili powders has the harvest year on it. And if you flip the jar over, the lot code is actually the harvest date. So we keep mm-hmm. records of our harvests and could probably tell you exactly which part of the field each jar of chili powder came from. Um, and our ho- bags of whole dried chilies that we had launched a few months ago, they have the exact harvest date that those chilies in the bag were harvested on, which I feel like is pretty radical transparency. Um, and we're, we're a really small team, so there's very few hands that touch these chilies from the seed to harvesting to being in the jar. And it's, it's a pretty wild process that we fully control. But it also means that <laughs> there's a lot of challenges that come up. Um, and since we're growing everything ourselves, it actually takes us multiple years to have a new chili variety ready for folks to cook with at home. And we're okay with that because it means that we're just really putting a lot of time and energy into making sure we're growing the right crops and that it's going to be the right chili for our climate, for our land, and for our community of cooks. And it's a great reminder to slow down. Um, And over the past year, I've really had to remind myself many times that we're definitely not a spice company, but we're first and foremost a farm and our timeline can only move as fast as chilies can grow. And so that also means that when we sell out of something, we're sold out until we can grow it again and harvest it and have it ready to go for folks. And so it's a lot of education around when is the season for this product? How long does it last? How long does it take to process? Um, And that not having that instant gratification for folks always can be a little bit challenging. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And well, first off, I well. I want you to tell us exactly when chili, I mean, I know when chili season is, but tell us for everyone that's wondering, when is chili season? When is harvest? Yeah. So we harvest from late August till about mid-November. And that's because we grow so many different varieties of chilies. Um, and the poblano chilies are the ones that are ready to harvest first because we are harvesting those peppers green but everything else has to sit on the plant until it's fully ripened and red. And we actually leave the chilies on the plants a little bit longer. So they start to dry out on the plants um, Mm -hmm. and it's easier for us to harvest them. So if you're looking for like peak production time of our peppers, it's like early October, but we end up harvesting across August through November. Okay. Yeah. That that's really, that's really good to know that, you know, you mentioned that, um, you, there's no back ordering your products. Like once, once they're gone, they're gone. And yep. so like, what's, what's the process there? Like when you're deciding, like, so when you decide to plant something, you're, you are, what kinds of things are you thinking about in, in when, when you're deciding to grow a new type of pepper? So part of it is, have people heard of this before? Are people already cooking with it? Mm-hmm. And is it something that folks only use fresh or is it something that they might want to use dried? 
Uh, so a good example of this is actually the red Serrano chili. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've grown the Serranos for probably two years at this point. And this last year, uh, we decided to dry them whole after like making, we, we decided to dry them whole and to see what they would be like. And we ground some of them thinking that they'd be pretty spicy, but they're actually really, really sweet when they're red. And so we took a year to just grow the chilies to make sure we liked them and they could grow well here. Then it was a year to figure out how much, how many chilies each plant produced and to figure out if we wanted it ground, if we wanted them whole, or if we wanted them flaked. And we decided to go with whole chilies on these. And now this year we have figured out the quantity that we want to try to grow and we have, I think, like 2,000 of the Red Serrano starts ready to go in the greenhouse. So the goal is to produce about 200 pounds of these chilies dried. Uh, but it's always like a hard um, – it's hard sometimes to figure out once you start growing more chilies, like how their wet weight of like a fresh chili is going to then convert to a dry chili. So if I have – one plant that grows like, or that produces about 30 peppers. What does that mean when they're dried? Is that Mm. one bag of chilies? Mm -hmm. Is that half a bag of chilies? Um, So there's a lot, a lot of math and forecasting that goes into figuring out then how many of these plants to grow and how to do that. I would have never, I, that (laughs) my mind is blown. I would have never thought that. that, I mean, that's incredible. And, and for anyone that's just picked up a a jar of, of chili powder or or pimenta split before, like it's years that go into this. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And the quality is there. You can tell, you you can taste the love. So Chrissy, okay. Tell us all about chilies. You know, you've, you've mentioned a couple varieties, the poblano, the serrano, the pimenta split. Tell us more about chilies and and just how versatile they are. Yeah, so this might sound wild to some of the home cooks out there, but I don't really use black pepper anymore. I really just use our pimentaville. And that's because one, I have a basically unlimited supply of it available. And two, it's truly the most versatile chili I've ever cooked with. It adds like these background flavors that black pepper does, but it also has this pepperiness to it. But then it'll kind of shape shift and you can use it like red chili flakes or red chili powder and it will showcase the more chili pepper side of it. And you can cook with it and you can finish your dishes with it. And it's something that you might not pick up at first glance in a store, but when you start cooking with it, it's hard to stop because you keep finding more and more uses for it. And I know that you like to experiment with our Pimentaville too, Claire. Oh, my fingers are constantly red. Uh, I, yeah, I, you know, you've been to my house. I have my olive oil. I have my pimentaville. I have my avocado oil. Like I have all my, you know, I've got my little station set up. Um, and I, I use black pepper occasionally, but I use piment way more. I use it daily. Yeah. And I think something that's really neat that we're doing with these Espelette chilies that no one else is, is that we're making three varieties of it, all using the same chili pepper. And so we have a classic piment de ville, a spicy piment de ville, and a smoky piment de ville. And to make the spicy piment de ville, we, we, it, it comes from the first chilies off the plants, and those are the spiciest. And so we know that early September 
mid-September, those chilies are going to be the hottest. Those become the spicy pimentaville. And then we harvest all of the mid-season peppers for the classic pimentaville, which ends up being a lot more balanced of a, like a sweet antique flavor. And then for the end of season chilies at the end of October, beginning of November, we use a non-traditional method to smoke the chilies and then end up with this smoky piment de ville that's a little bit more sweet and smoke than it is hot. And so I think that also just shows what you can do with chilies that's super versatile and just kind of makes them this really special ingredient that you can use in so many different ways. And there's this one food blogger whose handle is Cooking with Fudge, and she put together this really fun roasted potato flight um, with our chili powders. And so you have your sheet pan covered with some boiled potatoes, and then you take one third of the potatoes and cover them in the classic piment de ville, and then put smoky piment de ville on another third and the spicy piment de ville on the other third. And roast the potatoes until they're nice and crispy. And then you have this way to just like taste across the differences in that classic spicy and smoky piment de ville and just see how different their flavors are. And it's just a really fun and easy way to get people to try uh, the piment de ville and see which, which version they like best. That is brilliant. I am 100% doing that. The, <laughs> the roasted potato piment de ville tasting flight extravaganza. Right. So I want to hear, I would love for you to tell us more about recipes and ideas and ways that home cooks can use Pimentaville, but we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Okay, we're back. So Chrissy, we are talking about ways to use Pimentaville and you mentioned that you have, you've kind of let black pepper take the back seat and you love using piment for your daily cooking. So I would love for you to tell us some examples of your favorite ways to use both the whole chilies and the chili powders, and maybe some some surprising ways that home cooks at home can use these ingredients. Yeah. So first off, whenever I see a recipe called for like red chili powder or just chili powder or red chili flakes, that's where I use piment de ville. And then also whenever it calls for black pepper, that's my personal preference. Um, and then I like using our smoky piment de ville in place of hot paprika or crushed red chili flakes, and then our comapeno in place of cayenne. Um, but I think it's also important to know that you can use any of our chili powders just like as a finishing spice or in the cooking process. And that also changes the flavor when you're cooking with them. Well, I was going to say, I have your box in front of me right now, yeah. um, your trio, and I love how it has, well, the box is beautiful, but 
you give suggestions for pizza, avocado toast, eggs, steak, tomatoes, popcorn, sauteed veggies. I mean, it's the list goes on and on. Yeah. And I think that that's the really exciting thing about the chilies is that they're just, the pimento bill is super versatile. Like I, I'll use the smoky piment whenever I make sweet potato fries and yeah, starting your morning with a fried egg with pimento bill on top, it's the perfect way. And these are all pretty simple things to cook that it's not this long drawn out recipe to make something, but it's also a great place for experimentation. Like if you want to try something new, just try adding a bit of pimento bill and see how it comes out. And I will say that as a, a person that dabbles in food styling and, you know, obviously feed feed, we, we love gorgeous food photos here. <laughs> the piment, the color, it is so gorgeous sprinkled on top of a dish. Like for me, anything I make, it is not complete without finishing with flaky salt and pimento bill. Yeah, it, absolutely. It just, it just adds the most gorgeous color. Definitely a food styler's dream on that one. Truly is, truly yeah. is. And if for that reason alone, that is why my, my fingers are always bright, <laughs> bright red. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But if you want to talk a little bit more about the whole chilies too, I think first there's just a huge difference in flavor between knowing when whole chili was harvested and dried and then buying whole chilies at the grocery store when you really don't know anything about them. Uh, We had some folks from Oakland come up who have a salsa company down there and we gave them this guided chili tasting and nacho lettuce all in it, which was basically like stand outside and I'm going to hand you whole dried chilies and we're going to eat them as chips. (laughs) And so it was just this really great experience. And, uh, Rodrigo tried the Cascabel chili and he had had these chilies a lot growing up and his eyes just lit up and he was just like, Oh my gosh, this is what Cascabel chilies taste like. I just thought they didn't have any flavor. Like I'm so used to them tasting like nothing because you don't know anything about where the chilies are coming from at the market. And so knowing that like, our chilies really hold so much flavor inside of them. And that transparency of when they were harvested is just so key. And I think that I've definitely been experimenting a lot more with whole dried chilies. And I love adding our Yawaliga chili to our bowl to pots of beans. And when the beans are ready, I kind of just like smash up the chilies to really make sure that their flavor is throughout of it throughout the pot of beans I've really been enjoying making salsa with whole dried chilies. It's a lot easier to make and way better than anything you can buy at the store. Uh, And I love making romesco sauce, like being able to try adding like a bunch of different varieties of whole chilies to that lovely like tomato and nut sauce is just delicious. Um, And I think that like using whole chilies requires a little bit more education, but once you start to use them and understand their flavors, uh, they're, they're just re- also very versatile and fun to use. And what a great thing to have in your pantry. I mean, you mentioned romesco sauce, you know, I love a sauce. I <laughs> need to try that. That's like my sauce of the summer. Yeah. Um, and so do you typically toast your whole chilies before you use them? Yeah. So I'll toast them in a pan with a little bit of oil, uh, just to get the flavor to really come out and to like, kind of like activate the oils in the chilies. And then um, I'll steep them in some water for about 20 to 30 minutes. And then I'll use, then the, the chili will soften up at that point and you can really easily blend them um, and like mix them up into other things. 
Yeah, I've, I've worked with them before and, and they're honestly not that difficult. You know, it does require a yeah. little bit of like advanced planning, but I happen to love the the soaking liquid. <laughs> oh yeah. It's yeah. super flavorful. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you kind of have this like two for one where like you have these whole chilies, you can like blend them into a mole or a salsa. And then you have this chili water essentially that's like smoky and, yep. and it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. You can like use it to make rice or add it to a braise instead of a stock. Um, but you know, that's really helpful, Christy, because I think, you know, people are more familiar with like the dried chilies and the chili powders, but mm-hmm. not as much the whole chilies. And I'm so excited that um, Kuali will be using your whole chili. Shout out to Kuali Salsas here in oh Oakland. We, lo- we love you. <laughs> it's going to be great. And yeah. I actually have a question for you really quick um, yeah. because you mentioned um, deciding if you were like, when you're going to grind a chili into a powder versus a flake, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about wh- how you decide that. Yeah. So most of our chilies all or that we grind end up going to powder. Uh, but I have really been wanting to make like that perfect red chili flake that you put on your pizza. Like I really want that like coarser Italian flake. And so part of the decision process is just like thinking through how are people going to use this? And is it going to be something that they're going to to want to use regularly, does it have that flavor strong enough? Like, is the flavor strong Mm -hmm. enough? And does it work well? Yeah. (laughs) So we, we grew one variety of chilies, um, ahi limon chilies, actually. And we couldn't really figure out if we wanted to have them whole or dried or what we were going to do with them. Granted, this was our first year of of growing them. So it was that, that trial period to figure out, do we even like these? And we made some of the chili powder and it, it actually like the flavors in it kind of just change Mm -hmm. as you're using it in this really wild way. Like it's, it's very spicy and citrusy, but then it almost has like this hoppy flavor to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we'll keep that one in a powder. And then we tried to use the red serranos to make flakes out of them, but the flavor was almost too sweet to be flakes. They didn't have that like hit of heat that we wanted them to. So Mm -hmm. we realized they were actually really good as whole chilies um, instead of grinding them down because we already have our sweeter powder, which is the the classic Piment de Ville. And so it's really just a lot of thinking through, okay, like, how do I want to use this? How do I cook? How do the people who like our stuff cook? And what's going to work best for them? That's really interesting. And it, it really shows like how you are really thinking of the home cook first and yeah. what the experience will be for the home cook. And we're all home cooks. This year, at least, we are all home cooks. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, Chrissy, help us dispel the myths. And I guess you could call them generalizations around chilies. So, you know, a lot of times people think they're really spicy. They're, they're, they have this, like, super intense heat. And that heat is, like, the only flavor profile it adds. And some people think they're hard to cook with. Help us dispel those myths. So... Chilies come in all different levels of heat and have so many different flavor profiles. And they could start out really hot, like if you're having that chili fresh, but once it's dried and then even if it's ground, those flavors will change. And so if you had a Espelette chili of ours right off the plant, um, it's pretty spicy. But in the time that we take to dry the chili, that heat ends up turning a little bit more into sweetness 
And that's how we get this like beautiful, sweet aroma out of our chilies. And so part of it is just understanding that like, just because you had a hot jalapeno once, that doesn't mean that all jalapenos are hot or doesn't mean the next one that you have is going to be milder or even hotter. It's, there's just so many different nuances to chilies that you just have to learn them. Mm -hmm. And I think that chilies are just really fun to experiment with since there are so many peppers that are a little bit more mild in heat or some that are like pretty spicy, you can have really fun experiments with them in the kitchen. And it's really fun to just riff on recipes with the chilies that you have on hand. And it's also important to remember how old the chili powders you have are (laughs) because older chili powders will tend to lose their flavor And so if you have like a really old cayenne in your cabinet and you know how much to use of that, if you get a fresher cayenne or something like a comapeno, you're going to have to adjust your level of seasoning because what we have has just so much more flavor to it. And so it's really just understanding that like these chilies and chili powders, they're all coming from fresh produce that varies every year. And you just have to kind of try things out and see how it goes. Um, and I've been experimenting a lot with baking with our chili powders and I'm a very not confident baker (laughs) and the past year I've really tested myself and tried to grow in my, um, interest and comfortableness with baking. And so I started making like sour cream and onion biscuits and adding piment de ville to the dough. Mm -hmm. Delicious. I've decided that it's inappropriate to make cornbread without piment de ville in it. (laughs) And I've even added it to focaccia dough just to see what it would do. And I just love figuring out new ways to use our chili powders. And I know that you even baked with some of the comapeno chili powder in some chocolate cakes that you made. (laughs) Well, so this is a little story, a little story here. So last fall, um, Chrissy texts me and she says, I don't even know how this started, but she was like, okay, so we both decided that pumpkin was a flavor profile that should live beyond Halloween. Yes. So this is how this all started. We were like, okay, pumpkin is delicious. Pumpkin is a seasonal flavor, but why does pumpkin stop the day after Halloween? Because the day after Halloween, then it, you know, kind of goes into, you know, the Thanksgiving time and you might get a pumpkin pie or something, but you know, Christmas time and the holidays, no pumpkin. So I pitched this idea to Chrissy, hey, what if we make a Pimentaville pumpkin gingerbread? Absolutely. So it's going to be a, a spicy gingerbread because we, we both love like a spiced, dark, or at least I do, a, a very dark kind of like molassesy gingerbread, very oh, traditional. <laughs> yeah. And, but we also, but pumpkin has a great ability to, you know, make a baked good not as dry and it, it has a nice like kind of sweet flavor adding in the pimento vel, I mean I think it came out pretty well you tested it absolutely <laughs> it's delicious and I think that yeah it's it's I mean you normally wouldn't add like red chili powder to your gingerbread cookies or a gingerbread cake but why not like what's what's the difference you're having those spicy other spicy spices in there right. that Try it out with red chili powder. See what happens. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that traditional gingerbread actually has black pepper. Exactly. So I just took that out, added in the piment. And then I also did make a um, a chocolate chili 
cake um, around around harvest time, and I decorated it with whole dried chilies. Um, it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was it was tasty. It was tasty. It was that you know, of course, like the sort of chocolate and spice flavor profile that really just is outstanding from Mexico. It's like the absolute best. And for those for those of you that are you know kind of thinking about like what can I use Pimentoville for, like just try it out. It, it's exactly. not going to hit you in the face with spice. It's It's got like a buildable heat. So start off with a sprinkle and taste it and then add more. Um, that's my biggest tip for people is just use it. Like don't save it because it, yep. it is a fresh, fresh product. So actually, Chrissy, can you tell us like, what is the, what's the like shelf life for Pimet? Yeah. So I think that the best way to describe the shelf life is really thinking about how you're storing it. So if you have your Pimentaville or any of your spices in general, you want to have those in like airtight containers, keep them in a spot that's not in the sun and not near the like really strong heat. And so direct sunlight, strong heat, either from your stove, your fridge, or the sun, all of that is going to break down the quality of your spices. And so you don't want to really keep them like on a shelf right above your stove, even though it's cute, like you're just going to ruin all your spices. So the best way to think about shelf life for this, I would say it's really like six to nine months after you open the jar. I would say you definitely want to use it within a year. If you Mm -hmm. can't use a small jar within a year, we need to talk about like more experimentation and how (laughs) to really use those flavors. (laughs) But yeah, I would say keep your spices for a year and really just buy what you need to make sure you can get through them in that amount of time. Okay. This is okay. Let's talk about this for a second, because that is such good advice for honestly, any spices. And a lot of us who had, who did like our big pantry restock, like last year, Yeah, you know, at this point, whatever spices you bought or you cleaned out from last year, like go in and take inventory and check to see like, do they smell, you know, do they still smell strong? Do they still look good? Has their color deteriorated? Um, and, and the tip about storing them like in a cabinet, I mean, I'm the first to admit I go through about a jar of Pimentaville a month. Yeah. Um, you're fine then. <laughs> I'm a high, I'm a very like high yield user, but for anyone that's, you know, not going to be using it as much, keep it in a, like in your cabinet. Um, you know, but I think, there is something about having it next to your stove that makes you want to use it more. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's part of that, um, that experimentation process and finding the flavors that work well for you and knowing how often you're going to use them. And like, I'm, I'm also there to admit that I have jars of Pimentaville right next to my stove because I also use them on a daily basis and I don't want to have to like pull them out of my big spice drawer. But mm-hmm. I also know that I'm using those more than anything else that I have. And so it makes sense to have them out so that I continue to use them. Yeah, that's a really good tip for people. And, and you know, if there's a spice or an ingredient that you you bought and you're like, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Like, why did I buy this? I would encourage you to just spend a week and just have it next to your stove and use it try it out, experiment. Like just because you bought an ingredient like for a specific dish, it doesn't mean you can't use it somewhere else. So that's just a little PSA from me. (laughs) I agree with that. Okay, Chrissy. So 
you've dispelled the the myths. You've given us lots of ideas. And, and I can just say my favorite way is, is the piment, um, the, the olive oil fried egg with pimentaville on avocado toast. It's so, it's, you know, so simple, but like, that's so my favorite breakfast <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and it's on just, you know, really never gets old. Okay. So speaking of, speaking of our favorite dishes, I want, I want you to tell us a little bit about your dinner list. Yeah. So last March, when everything closed down in California, I wanted a way to keep track of time because everything seemed to fall apart and I just really needed to figure out what was going to happen next. So I decided to start writing down what we were having for dinner every night. And I was like, oh, this will be this cute thing that we do for like the two weeks we're going to be at home because that's how long this is going to last, right? Um, Well, turn to now. I have 12 pages of legal pad that I just took off of our kitchen cabinets today, which include everything that we had for dinner since March 15th, 2020. Um, It's been a really fun and absurd way to keep track of what's happened through the year. I can tell you like when I saw people or the first time that I ate outside at a restaurant or the one night that I didn't stay at my house. Um, it's, it's a pretty absurd and fun time capsule of this past year. It's beyond. I mean, (laughs) I, I have a, a copy of a, 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 portion of this list. Um, and you, I can see what you ate on your wedding day. Exactly. Who doesn't want to know that? (laughs) So when I tell you that for everyone at home, it it is the most incredible, I would say just piece of dinner content. I mean, (laughs) I don't even know what to call it. it. It, it is so good. And for anyone that loves, you know, reading articles about like what people eat in a day, which is like, my favorite kind of articles. Like I'm always curious about like what's in people's fridges. Like I'm always the one at your house, like looking in your, your pantry, like (laughs) just this list is amazing. So tell us what are a few of the like dinner standouts, like that really like saved the day. Oh yeah. Nachos. We ate a lot of nachos. Um, definitely, definitely really like ate our weight in nachos last year. Uh, the other thing that we ate a lot of is comapeno carne adovada, uh, which is made with our comapeno chili powder. And it's like this New Mexican pork stew that is like slow braised pork with um, onions, comapeno chili powder, some tomato and cumin and coriander. And just eating it with fresh tortillas and a bowl of pinto beans. It is absolutely delicious. I recognize that we ate that a lot. Um, on this day last year, we had tofu red curry with all the vegetables left in the fridge. Um, what else on here is good? There's other things like really bad frozen pizza because we needed to eat something else. Um, or there's like shakshuka that we had in May and you can tell in some of the and one month was when we had some new recipes developed for Boonville Barn Collective. And so it's like three days of eating the same thing, trying to like make it as appropriately and like to be able to follow the recipe as to the T as we could and make sure that it was all working out. There's, there's some pretty funny things like that on here too. Yeah. I want to say there was one where it was like, 
Gideon, your husband, ate <laughs> this like immaculate meal and then Chrissy ate a baked potato. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on some of the days too, when, when we weren't together or we were just doing our own thing that day. Yeah, it's like... Gideon was at a training with the volunteer fire department and I just ate some salami because I didn't want to cook dinner. It's like, but, Hey, it's real life. And, and yeah. Chrissy, okay. Do you have any secrets for your ultimate nachos? Oh, for the nachos. Let's see. Number one, don't burn them in the broiler. Um, I really think that it's better to just put them in the oven and let them cook because I inevitably always burn them in the broiler. Um, yeah really good beans. Like take that time, make that pot of beans, eat it with everything you're cooking that week, finish the week off with some nachos. And it doesn't always have to have meat. I think a little meat on it is nice, but if you got some good beans, I think that Mm -hmm. you're fine. Yeah. I was going to say that carne adobado would be really good on there too. So that's a two for one. Absolutely. Right there. I also uh, loved a nacho this year because they are like a great catch-all for like any veggies. Yeah, I, I love, I mean, making a pot of beans, like that That could be, I mean, we could talk about that another time, but like <laughs> having those in your fridge, it's just like a little insurance policy for like dinner is covered for a couple days. So absolutely, um, I'm inspired to make some dinner nachos and, and you know, I, I got to agree with you. The, I, I, I love the broiler, but <laughs> I have to set multiple reminders so I do not burn anything that I put under the broiler. Um, even even with the kitchen timer, I burned it. So, you yeah. know. N- nothing worse than a burned nacho. Nothing no. worse. <laughs> so, Chrissy, it has been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm inspired. You know, you know that I am a huge fan of Pimentavel, and I use it obsessively on everything and anything. But you've given us so many great tips and really a, an amazing insight into a farm-to-jar space chili company. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's been really insightful for me. I've learned a lot. I had no idea that honestly, I, I don't even think I realized that like the, that poblanos are just underripe peppers. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing uh, is that poblanos will, will ripen into ancho or mulatto chilies. See, I think we, we might have to have a part two here because there's, <laughs> there is so much about chilies that is just beyond the, uh, beyond what meets the eye. But Chrissy, tell us a little bit about where folks can find more about Boonville Barn Collective. Yeah. So you can find us on our website at boonvillebarn.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at Boonville Barn. And yeah, we share some fun stories about what's happening on the farm there and some beautiful photos of our chili peppers. Beautiful photos. And I, I will say everyone needs to make sure you tune in during harvest, especially because Chrissy and Gideon have a a bike that uh, thrushes. Is that the term? Yeah. Thrushes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that really quick. <laughs> so with our dry beans, we needed a way to clean the beans themselves out of the pods that they grow in. And we don't produce enough to use like a big combine or a big like regular farm piece of farm equipment to do that. But we grow too many to do it by hand. So last year we produced a thousand pounds of dry beans. And one of our friends actually sent us the plans for building a bike powered bean thresher. And we had a bike that we hadn't been using. And so Nacho built this whole contraption 
where you slowly pedal the wheels on the bike and it moves this whole like big wooden box behind the bike. And in that box has chains attached to it. And so when you turn the bike, these chains move around and it will break down the pods that the beans have around them and out will come beans. And it was this really great way to be able to clean our beans around the farm. Like wherever we were growing beans, we could just move this bean thresher. But it also meant a lot of bike riding, um, which, I mean, it's a pretty silly thing to do. But I also feel really great in saying that our beans are bike powered. So I mean, it's, it's, I don't think anyone could find a bike powered bean outside of <laughs> your farm. I mean, I, I just had to mention it because it's just so ridiculous and amazing. And you guys always post about it on your Instagram. Yeah. So everyone follow Chrissy and everyone at the Boonville Barn at Boonville Barn on Instagram. And hey, we sell the Piment Trio on the Feed Feed Shop. So you can visit um, the Feed Feed Shop and you can get yourself the smoky, the spicy and the classic Piment. And then you can replace your black pepper and use it with abandon. Um, would love to connect with anyone that's loved this episode. And any questions you have, feel free to DM us on Instagram. It's been an absolute pleasure to host. I'm Claire Langan, the editorial director here at Feed Feed. Thank you again so much, Chrissy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. Thank you, everybody, for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that question, what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.